I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Coming up in the next hour, it's a man who jumped out of a second-story window in his sleep and lived to tell about it in four different mediums. It's a two-man band who owe their new vintage sound to a studio flood. It's a man who's danced in Antarctica, underwater in Micronesia, and in zero gravity in Nevada, saying, If you think you recognize me, just come on over, say hello, and ask if I'm Matt. If I'm not Matt, I will let you know. It's, it's... I'm your host, Courtney Hommeister. And you also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just a single hour, he writes a poem that encompasses all the lessons he's learned during the course of the evening. And of course, music from our house band led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. So tonight, actually, before we get the show on the road, um, we wanted to welcome with open arms radio station WESA 90.5 FM in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're very proud to be part of a whole new lineup on WESA on Friday nights, and we've actually, we've been told that Pittsburgh is the new Portland, which makes sense because you have the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we have a surprisingly large pirate population in our city. Um, they're not the baseball players, they're the swashbuckling kind, but I still really feel like we can get along. We love you already, Pittsburgh, and thank you so much for having us. Very exciting. So as I mentioned earlier, we have Mike Birbiglia on the show. Yes, we're excited about that. So Mike will be talking about his movie Sleepwalk with me, and it's an autobiographical comedy about a relationship that has seen better days and better nights when people weren't sleepwalking out of second story windows. And what happens is the movie alternates between scenes with actors playing out events from Mike's life and Mike narrating the film. He's sitting in a car mostly and he's chatting with us kind of through the fourth wall. And the original version of the film had Mike doing this in the middle of scenes. He was sort of commenting on the action as it happened to this imaginary guy, this ingeniously disguised Matt Pendamiglio guy. <laughs> and it was a lot of the same stuff that Mike had been saying in his very successful one-man show, with one difference. When they tested it with film audiences, it wasn't actually getting laughs. And so they tried something. They reshot those talking straight to the camera moments, but they changed just one thing. Mike started telling the story in the past tense. So instead of a guy telling you about a relationship that was in the process of falling apart, he was a guy telling you about a relationship that fell apart a couple of years ago. And it was really the only difference, and suddenly the laughs appeared, exactly where they'd been in his one-man show. It was the magic of the past tense. 
It's like when you see a friend trip and you wait to see if they're okay before you start mocking them. <laughs> so we as audience members, we weren't willing to laugh with Mike until we knew that he'd actually gotten out okay, that he wasn't hurting anymore, you know? And Mike didn't know it, but his film was this giant experiment to test the concept of comic distance, to test exactly how far a person has to be from a painful experience in order for us to be able to laugh at it. And hearing Mike and Ira Glass tell this story, it made me want to perform more experiments just like this one to create sort of an ultimate comic distance equation like laughs equal pain to the x power plus y years where y is variable based on physical versus emotional pain right because emotional pain is always less funny and then it would be divided by the comic potential of the situation itself like the difference between your grandmother dying at home surrounded by her loved ones and say Austrian Hans Steininger. He was the man with the world's longest beard. He died in 1597 because in his haste to run from a fire, he forgot to, quote, roll up his beard. <laughs> so there's a lot more comic potential in that death. Um, so it's a, it's a complex multivariable equation, and I've never been good at math, but if we could just figure this out, it would be such a relief for me, you know? to at least be able to look at a calendar and know the exact date and time that I'll be able to laugh about things, you know, like a burnt grilled cheese sandwich, 12 minutes, a fender bender, two weeks to six months based on the make and model of the car and the degree of attachment the owner had to the fender. Um, and as in Mike's case, a broken heart, which can take anywhere from 15 minutes to 104 years to mend, especially if L, the degree to which you loved, is significantly less than A, the height of the other person's apathy. So in those cases, the number of years required often feels like infinity, but it's not. And maybe this comic distance equation will never work to prove that. But if we just keep working on it, we'll all just be too distracted by complex polynomials to really remember that we're in pain. Or we can all just do what Mike did and we can just turn our excruciating relationship story into a movie so maybe we can all experience the instantaneous magic of the past tense. So we first met these two gentlemen who are going to be coming on stage eight years ago when they appeared with their third full-length album, Love and Distance. Eight years, three records later, they have toured with Kings of Leon and Modest Mouse, and they signed with Sub Pop. Uh, 2009, something interesting happened. While they were on tour, their studio flooded, and they decided to, to ditch some of the newer equipment for vintage synthesizers, reverb and microphones, and they've now created a, a warmer sound on their brand new album, Negotiations. They have been called indie rock, dream pop, noise pop, indie electronic, but my favorite moniker for them is neo-psychedelia. It may not even be accurate, but it sounds super cool, and like it might have something to do with The Matrix. Uh, with songs, with songs from negotiations, please welcome Brandon Summers and Benjamin Wyko. The Helio Sequence.
on Livewire Radio. Their brand new record is Negotiations. It will be supported by a full U.S. and European tour, and their tour dates can be found on subpop.com. Governor Romney, hackers have accessed your tax returns. How much trouble are we in if this gets out? Oh, boy. Well, it's not going to be good. I made a couple bad investments, nothing illegal, just... Look, I never, I never look before I leap. I just leap. All right, all right. Look, how bad can it be? Let's just take a look. Okay, it looks like you've made some online investments. Uh, last year, you invested heavily in uh, blockbuster video stores. Uh, the wife and I periodically enjoy sitting down with a nice videotape. Have you seen this Mrs. Doubtfire? I don't know who the actress is, but she was great. Well, that was... Uh, uh, okay, never mind. Uh, that's not that damning. It's just not a great investment. All right, here you invested one and a half million in a startup called VAJ2000. Mm-hmm. Vajazzling for women over 50? Do you even know what that means, sir? I was confused by the acronym. I thought it was a veterans group. It is not. Not at all. I'm screwed. Not yet. No, okay, let's keep looking. Oh, my chest hurts. Okay, you gave the ASM half a million. That's, oh, that's the American Society of Muslims. Sir, that's very open-minded of you. That's Louis Farrakhan. S even the Democrats are distancing themselves from Farrakhan. Okay, look, in my defense, I'd been on a bender that afternoon. I'd gone to an AMPM convenience store and splurged on a 16-ounce Pepsi Cola. And I ate half a Snickers candy bar. I blacked out. And when I came to, I realized what I did. So I gave to Pat Robertson just to balance things out. Uh, that, that doesn't balance things out. I know, so. I know. Oh, my chest. All right, I'll give it. You own controlling interest in a dolphin meat company? Yeah. Well, dolphin burgers are great. They taste just like turkey burgers. Then just eat a turkey burger. Well, not when I've got all this dolphin meat. Can you even hear yourself? All right, you bought the movie rights to the Facts of Life television show. I'm a tootie man, always have been. There's no shame in that. Yeah, actually, there is shame in that, sir. You invested in a timeshare at Dollywood with Todd Aiken? <sighs> Heart. Uh, you gave money to elect a panda to city council. I didn't have my glasses on. You invested in cancer. We don't know which side is going to win that battle. <laughs> I'm trying to hedge my bets here. D uh, do you even know what hedging your bets means? I'm not permitted to gamble. Uh, American Mobile Meth Labs? Really? American kids are behind in meth. That's Michael Vick's Dog Fighting Society. Well, who doesn't love some aerial combat? It's not that kind of dog. 
You bankrolled the defense funds of O.J. Simpson, Phil Spector, and Robert Blake? Snickers! Oh, I don't know, sir. This is pretty bad. I know, I know. Uh, what do we do? I see you invested in an Iranian blowtorch company. We're gonna need those blowtorches now. My heart! That was Trisha Ferguson, Andrew Harris, and Sean McGrath. You're listening to Livewire right now, and we thank you. We know you have many choices when it comes to your radio variety show needs, and we're grateful that you've chosen us to fulfill them. While you're waiting to hear world traveler Matt Harding, comedian Mike Berbiglia, more music from Helio Sequence and poet Scott Poole, please enjoy this musical interlude and station identification. We'll be right back. Matt Harding was a video game designer in Los Angeles. He wasn't happy then. He said he was just moving from bubble to bubble to bubble, just completely out of touch with the world. He moved to Australia, but soon became disenchanted with the video game world, and he just quit his job to travel the world. And when he was in Hanoi, Vietnam, his friend Brad told him to, quote, stand over there and do that dance you do, all recorded on your camera. And an internet sensation was born. Well, two years and about 40 countries later, an internet sensation was born. Matt has recorded himself dancing with walruses in the Shetland Islands, with whale sharks in the ocean, and with one incredibly annoyed guard at uh, the demilitarized zone in Korea. <laughs> His YouTube videos have over 60 million hits. Please welcome Matt Harding to Livewire. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Our, our radio audience uh, unfortunately missed out on, we did a little dance during our break. It loses with something the audience. on the radio, yeah. <laughs> it does, just a, just a little bit, but you did an excellent job. I have to tell you, it was very exciting to actually see you do the dance in person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background. When you were working as a video game designer, what was behind the moment that you just decided to quit your job and travel the world? I sort of slowly realized over years and years that I wasn't very good at it. Oh, that's uh, a good reason. And I, I liked doing it, but I wasn't doing it very well. And, and then I sort of came to the conclusion that I'm not doing it very well because I don't really like doing it. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started traveling. And then this thing fell in my lap. Right. <laughs> Just a little, a little something fell in your lap. Um, so after this, this video actually hit before YouTube even existed. Yeah. That was far more of an accomplishment than it would have been, you know, say, you know, a week ago. Right. Back in, yeah. This was back in 2003, right? Yeah. Well, I think it'd be a lot different if it happened a week ago. The doors kind of closed for things like that. Uh, you think on the so? internet, I think, yeah, they, it, it's a lot different now. But, you know, so yeah, I put the video out in like 2004, and there was no YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and it did what it could do, but YouTube sort of lit the fire and made it possible for videos to really get around. I found the video on YouTube uh, after somebody else had uploaded it, and it had like 600,000 views. Yeah. And the guy, guy had created a PayPal account, matt.harding at paypal.com, and he was saying, donate money so I can make more of these videos. Oh, that's. 
uh, crappy. That is super crappy. <laughs> well, I tracked him down and emailed him, and I said, hey, I don't know who you are, but you're not me. Knock it off. And he wrote back to me, and he said he'd collected $235, and he would cut me in on 5% of it. It's incredibly generous of him. It's a a nice offer. That is an entrepreneur that you were dealing with. (laughs) Um, So after the first one, Stride Stride Gum approached approached you and amazingly just wanted to bankroll you. So you actually got to to go to 42 countries in the 2006 video. And similar to to the first video that you did, you're dancing in front of a lot of, of monuments in that one. But you get to Rwanda and something different happened. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, so when, I, when Stride came and said, hey, we like what you did, would you do it again? And I said, okay, pay me. And they said, sure. That's that story in a nutshell. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I got to travel around the world. And, and the idea at that point was I'll go stand in front of a monument or a building or landmark, do my dance, and, and that'll be fun. Uh, and I got to Rwanda and... There really isn't a lot of things in Rwanda that you want to dance in front of. Um, there's just people. There's a yeah. lot of people. And so I thought, all right, well, I'll, I'll just dance with some people. So I went to this village, and uh, I didn't, they, they didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Kinder Rwandan and, or French. And so I just started dancing. Mm-hmm. And the kids just immediately started dancing, too. Immediately. I didn't need to explain anything. And I ended up getting by far my favorite shot from that whole six months of travel. So I finished that and I thought, well, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. People are way more interesting than Taj Mahals and pyramids. I need to, and so then I went back to Stride and I said, hey Stride, you need to send me around the world again. <laughs> Cause oh. I was doing it wrong. We, we just, you know what? We can't fix it in post. <laughs> I'm gonna have to reshoot. Yeah. And they said, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, what's, what's interesting is watching you, in some of the videos, uh, you, you're, you're showing them your dance, which is ex- incredibly difficult to learn. And then in other videos, uh, there's a great video of you in Papua New Guinea, where it appears that kind of you guys are trading dances, you're doing a little bit of, of what they do. What does that feel like to be halfway around the world and teaching people this dance that you've sort of been doing your whole life, this kind of jackassy dance? Well... <laughs> All, all due respect. Oh, none taken. No, no, no offense taken. It, well, after, actually, after a while, it did start feeling kind of weird because it's like, hey, everybody, uh, here's my dance, which you're now going to do. And, and after years and years of it, I started realizing that's really not what travel's about. Travel isn't about going across the planet to make people do a thing that you do. Yeah. Uh, and so I decided to make this video where I would learn other people's dances and bring different dances that I would learned and teach them. Um, but I also didn't want to make the It's a Small World ride where the people of India are doing the dance they do in India. The people right. of Papua New Guinea are doing the dance they do in Papua New Guinea because that's not the world that I, I see when I travel. What I see is all of this cross-pollination going on. Everybody's taking from other people and making it into new things. So the idea for this last video was just to make a big mess of, of all these different... Get, get them doing the hitchhiker get the Hooliwig man in Papua New Guinea doing the hitchhiker, and then <laughs> take the dance they do in Papua New Guinea and bring that to Iceland and see what happens. And mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a much bigger production this time. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned, um, really, that the, that the past videos hadn't really said what you wanted to say. And was what you wanted to say with this video this, this thing about cross-pollination? And well, that... And with the 2012 video, which just came out, actually, Fairly yeah. recently. Yeah, 2012 just came out in June. The, the other thing I really wanted to say with the last video um, that I didn't get a chance, actually, in the previous videos, I had to sign a little thing in the contract which said that I would not go to certain countries that we have trade sanctions with and that are dangerous. And, and that kind of bugged me. That sort of stuck in my side. I got to travel around the world and see all these great places, but I couldn't go to North Korea. I couldn't go to Pakistan. And it kind of felt like the most useful thing I have to say with these videos is that those places are just like everywhere else. Mm -hmm. There are people, I mean, what you see on the news is not the whole picture. There are people there who are laughing, having fun, goofing around just like everywhere else. So that was the thing I really wanted to get out of the way with this video, was including the places that we think of as not like us, as, as other, as dangerous. Well, and, and you say actually on your website um, that the world is a lot safer than people make it out to be. I had a great time in Afghanistan. Yeah. I had a great time in North Korea. I'm not saying that everybody does, um, but I'm... <laughs> but, I mean, I, I was able to walk down the street in Kabul and, and visit a market, and people were really friendly, friendly with me mm-hmm. 
I would say they even went out of their way to be extra especially friendly because here's an American who's wandering around just taking it in. Um, you know, and I'm not, uh, I'm not my country, I'm not my culture, I'm me and they're them. And, uh, and so the video's about sort of engaging as people and not as nationalities. Well, it's, it's interesting. There's an ethnomusicologist named Joseph Jordania. I think we're all familiar with Joseph, aren't we, everybody? Um, well, <laughs> what Joseph has recently suggested is that he believes that dance was originally designed at the early stages of our evolution to put groups of people into a trance prior to battle Essentially, dance was created to create a collective identity for these people, have them lose their own personal identity. Do you, as sort of, you're sort of a world dance expert at this point. Would you agree with him on that? Yeah, I think there's something there. I think, I think there's something about tribes uh, that we've got to kind of work through because yeah. it's, 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 it's screwing us up. You know, we're all in these different tribes, and, and that separates us from each other. And, and the video is my attempt of... This is gonna sound really corny. I'm sorry, folks. This is why I dance and don't talk. Make us all one tribe, you know, because we are, you know, we're not separate little townships and provinces now. We are, when you buy a cup of coffee, you're affecting the economies in Ethiopia or, you know, the Caribbean, wherever that coffee bean came from. When you get a tank of gas, for God's sake, you're affecting economies all over the world. Uh, so we've got to engage with each other on a, on a global level because we can't just keep our heads in the sand anymore. Right. So you now have a wife and you have a son, right? Um, which probably makes traveling a little bit more difficult, but your wife actually helps to produce the videos. Um, what would you and say- And the children. And the children. <laughs> yeah, she did a good job of that. <laughs> she helps. So what would be the one thing that you've learned on your travels that you would want your son to know? Uh, that, that thing I just said. <laughs> Please don't make me say it again. <laughs> well, you can watch the videos at wherethehellismat.com. You can also just do a search on YouTube for Where the Hell is Matt. And if you can watch this video without a giant smile on your face or possibly crying at the end, then you are a robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Matt Harding from wherethehellismat.com. <laughs> That was world traveler and excellent dancer Matt Harding, and you are listening to Livewire, radio variety for the ADD generation. If you're in the Portland area, come to our next show at the Alberta Rose Theater on September 29th with Dan Smith, author of Monkey Mind, Paranorman, writer-director Chris Butler, actor-writer Issa Rae, Dave Hill, and music from Willie Porter. You can find more information at livewireradio.org. No, oh. no, you shut up. Oh, stop it. Oh. Bob. Bob, wake up, honey. Goldfish, uh, tell commissioner. Uh, 700. Bob, you're doing it again. Huh, what? Uh, uh, was I sleepwalking again? Did I eat an entire rotisserie chicken? No. Oh, no. Did I go like everything on Facebook, thereby making all my previous likes meaningless? Oh, God. Is the dog okay? No, no, it's, it's none of that. You've been sleep campaigning again. What? Sleep campaigning. Again. Again? Yeah. I, I think you're up 15 points in Michigan. What are you talking about? Michigan, we live in Manhattan. You took the red eye, made a few whistle stops, and gave a pretty inspiring stump speech in Flint. Uh, there's, there's no possible way I could do that in one night. It's been two weeks. I don't see how that's... It's Tuesday. Right. The 15th. Oh, God. Well, Michigan's a swing state, so... But I, I, I've never even wanted to be a politician. I, I'd be a terrible president. I, I'm on record saying I dislike the sound of children's laughter. Wow, these exit polls seem to disagree with you. Okay, well, what are my policies? Well, you're tough on clown-faced spiders that turn into your mother. Uh, you presented a 12-point plan to stop random free-falling, and you scream a lot about your teeth falling okay, out. Okay, that's insane. Well, you're speaking to a common fear that's pretty compelling, although, to be honest, you mostly just mumble incoherently about laundry lint. Oh, so I'm in the tea party. Oh. You say you can't be tied down by just one ideology. Or Catwoman. 
You talk a lot about being tied down by Catwoman. Okay, for the last time, Trish, Catwoman is no threat to so you. So you keep saying, but just remember, a sex scandal now would torpedo you in the South. Although, you know, surprisingly, they don't seem to be bothered by the nudity. Uh, nudity? Oh, yeah, you're completely naked most of the time. And uh, no one has a problem with that? Latin women aged 18 to 24 think it means you have nothing to hide, and college-educated men find your penis non-threatening and relatable. Great. Great. Uh, and no one has a problem with that. Uh, well, honey, you were... Uh, well, oh, you how were, come you've never told me about this before? Well, you were polling so strong among the undecideds. I thought maybe you'd win the election and get it out of your system. What changed? Uh, the press corps on the lawn has been no picnic. Where are your tax returns? Can I use your bathroom? I was wondering about those guys. Yeah, and Joe Biden keeps throwing bricks through our window. Stay out of Scranton! Honey, we are running out of windows, and now I feel like maybe it's not the right time for a gibbering, frequently nude president. Plus, you are pretty weak on the economy. Well, I guess I'll have to suspend my campaign then. Should I go back to sleep, or...? No, no, let's dump this in the Friday news cycle. The midterms are right around the corner. That was Trisha Ferguson, Andrew Harris, and Sean McGrath. You're listening to Livewire Radio. Mike Birbiglia is a successful stand-up comic, but like every comic, he struggled for a while in the beginning, and that combined with some relationship stress, caused his body to respond with a sleep disorder called REM sleep behavior disorder, which caused him to do things like climb up on furniture and jump out of windows in his sleep. He has chronicled his struggle with his disorder and the relationship that triggered it in a one-man show, a book, and now a very funny and original movie called Sleepwalk With Me. It's the first feature film he's directed. This American Life's Ira Glass produced it, and their crowdsourcing efforts have taken the film from around 20 theaters to over 75 at this point, and they even beat the Avengers per screen average in New York City their first weekend. Please welcome film mogul Mike Birbiglia to Livewire. We are. We are here. The show's been so good. How about that band? I know. Holy cow. Aren't they amazing? What are they called again? The Helio Sequence. The Helio Sequence. I just got to see them live. It's spectacular to watch as well. It is. It is. Because the, the, the man with the drums. <laughs> Benjamin. Is, uh, he's like an animal, like animal in the Muppets. You know? He is. He's, he really, the, the drumsticks are like extensions of his body, and it's very inspiring to watch. It is. It's like pure joy. It is pure joy. Yeah. And, and possible uh, anger, too. I mean, can you imagine how much anger you could get out doing he's that? He's got a lot of anger, and uh, <laughs> he doesn't like to talk about it, but he uh, expresses it very well in his drum playing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so, um, we actually have a clip from the very, from the very, very beginning of your film. Like, oh, we great. just, we're, we're going to play uh, the beginning of the film just to kind of give people an idea. Um, we kind of laid it out, but do, do you just a, like a quick synopsis of what the film is for people? Well, the film is a, it's a, a narrative uh, film adaptation of my, my one-man show, which was autobiographical about how I was... I, I jumped out a second story window in my sleep. You were saying this, Courtney, earlier, but it's, uh, but I, I um, and the, thematically the film is about this character who's in denial about his, his health getting worse, his relationship getting worse with his college sweetheart, and, uh, and, and his career going so poorly, and that's sort of the, the what the film is about. Well, and I, I spoke at the, be, at the beginning of the show about the narration and the way that the film was, was structured, and it opens up, actually, uh, with the narration, and it's Mike, and what you're going to hear is he's in his car, and he's about to go through a toll booth, and it's the, first, the very first scene that you see in the film. Before we begin, I just want to ask you to turn off your phone. I say that because I was at a movie recently, and the guy next to me answered his phone during the movie, and he answered it by saying, and I quote, he said, who dis? Which means not only was he willing to talk to someone, he was willing to talk to anyone. 
He didn't care who it does. Thanks. I'm not sure what the past tense of this is, but he did not care who it does. I'm gonna tell you a story and, and it's true. I, I always have to tell people that because inevitably someone will come up to me and they'll be like, is that true? And I'll be like, yeah. And they'll be like, was it? I don't know how to respond to that. Like, I guess I could say it louder, you know, like, yeah! They'd be like, it's probably true, say it louder. Mike Rubiglia. All right. Thanks. I didn't have to do anything during that. Yeah, you just got to sit and listen to yourself. So, that was enjoyable. Um, and so the story that Sitting I told at the, at the beginning of the show about you, you, you guys sort of trying to troubleshoot what was going wrong. Yeah. How did you guys come up with the idea to change the tense that you were talking in? To, Here's what from it was like. I was current... like, uh, I got it. <laughs> and then I was like, here's what we do. We goes to something like this, and then a something like this, and bada dee do, and everybody was like, bango! And then that was it. Uh, no, so it was, no, I'm just kidding. I, it was, was, like a, so it was like a Scooby-Doo episode. It was like a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> That's... It was, uh... No, we were in the edit and we were banging our heads against the wall and because it wasn't getting laughs, like stuff that was getting laughs literally for years when I would tell it on stage was getting like dead stares. And so it really, it, it, it ended up being similar to what you were saying earlier, like this exploration of self where I was like, what is comedy, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and I discovered that it's when uh, stuff happened to you before. <laughs> But not at it's the really time. It's not that complicated. Yeah. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Livewire Radio, and we're talking to Mike Berbiglia, the writer and director of Sleepwalk With Me. And if you're already tuning in, you're just having a great time. <laughs> um, so I saw an interview with Ira. You have, you have never uh, directed Glass, a feature film Glass, before. Yeah. And I saw an interview with Ira where he said that you had read this, this Francis Ford Coppola quote that said, just act like the film is going to exist and tell people you can come with, but this film will exist. And he said that that's essentially what you did. How hard was it for you to have this blind faith when you had never done this before? Because I had done it with a with the whole rest of my career. You know what I mean? Like I did it with my stand-up comedy career. Like when I was 22 and I graduated from college and I had spent, you know, all my parents' money and, you know, and putting them into debt and everything. And I was like, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this job where they pay me uh, 40 bucks uh, to do something that cost me $75 in gas and tolls. And like, that's... <laughs> That's a ridiculous thing to tell your parents, and I, I, I don't wish that upon anybody, but um, I did that in stand-up comedy, and then eventually it started going really well, and, and, yeah. uh, and so it, I felt like it was something I had done before. It was, it, there was a really, I thought, wonderful scene in the film when it's, it's your first stand-up comedy gig, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It was yeah. costing you way more. You were in this terrible hotel, but you were like a little kid. Yeah. And you and were so excited. And the Backstreet Boys are playing <laughs> through that, which is the most expensive thing in the whole movie. We paid, we paid $25,000 for the song, I Want It That Way. Wow. And that's only if the movie doesn't make money. Like, if it starts to make money, the backstreets are gonna just cash in. The backstreets will be back, as they say. So what you did with this film was that you, you were reenacting a difficult time in your life in the places that they had happened. What does that do to your emotional life when you're doing this. I'm sorry to be so distracted, but there's a, a, a person knitting in the front row. In oh. the, is that for the show that we're doing right now? Yeah. Or is that like a completely separate activity? You know what? Every guest gets a merkin when they go. Oh. Well, I stand corrected. <laughs> I stand corrected, because... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what a merkin is, but I bet it's good because everybody cheered when you said it. It's a, it's a pubic wig. Oh, really? Oh my God. 
I don't want that. You don't actually get one. Oh, I, I don't get that. This bit has spun out of control. <laughs> like that knitting. Uh, what did I ask you about pain? I was asking you about pain. This is what happens when anyone talks to me. I'm sorry, I want to apologize for Courtney. She's new. She's, uh... <laughs> They've only been doing this show for a week, and so uh, she's, there's going to be some growing pains. Yeah, no. But um, speaking of ADD, I saw you... <laughs> I actually saw you on Bonnie Hunt's show, oh, and you wow. were talking about... Um, you struggle a little bit with ADD, and I thought directing is all about just all of these details and, and all of these decisions just constantly coming at you. Yeah. So I just wondered, did that make it harder for you? It was very hard. Like, I have to say, like, making a film in some strange way was the perfect antidote to that ADD because you basically have to manage seven art forms occurring simultaneously, you know, the, between acting and directing and photography and, and, and music composition and, 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 and makeup and, and hair and wardrobe and all of these things have to happen simultaneously. So in some certain way, it actually did kind of it solved a certain ADD issue where I was like, I want to think of everything all at once and, uh, and, and I you could. were able to. To the point where when I went home at night, I was just like, oh, I'm done. You know, I just like, I went to sleep and my brain just, I felt like every day it was full. Did you have any sleepwalking issues while you were shooting? I did, yeah. Because I, well, one thing about um, directing a film is that it's really not good for curing a sleep disorder. Uh, because, because you have a lot of anxiety, yeah. you have a lot of stress, and... Uh, and I would have these instances. I actually, it was funny, I was talking to Joss Whedon about this recently, who yeah. I have a feud with. Exactly. As you might know, I have a YouTube feud, you myself and Ira Glass, with, with Avengers director Joss Whedon. And I was asking him, because in the Avengers, they have these sequences where I'm looking at it, and I'm like, clearly that single scene took a week to shoot. And how do you go to sleep knowing that you've only shot a sixth of of what your, your scene is, essentially. And he said it drove him crazy, and that he would, he would you know, at, at certain points, like, he would wrap a scene, and then he would be falling asleep, and he'd go, oh my God, we forgot to shoot the close-up of Sam Jackson, or some huge thing. Mm -hmm. it, for me, it, it caused me a lot of anxiety, and, and I, I was actually sleepwalking. Um, I had a, I would have instance where I would dream that I was directing myself acting as myself while sleeping. So in other words, I would get, I'm not even making this up, my wife would come in and I would be adjusting lamps in our bedroom. I would be walking around adjusting lamps and she'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're shooting. And she was like, no, we're not. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but we are. I would actually patronize her, which is the most insulting thing you can do when you're sleepwalking, is insult the person you're with for not seeing what you see. Like, oh, right. you just don't get it, you know? Like, and that's what happened, so my... So anyway, we broke up, and uh, it's... Now I'm a swinging single. No, I, uh, no, no, my wife was uh, wildly supportive of of me through the process, and, mm -hmm. and she would have to be, because it was uh, insane. Well, and it's, it really is, it's incredibly uh, poignant and charming, and, and what I love about it is that it just feels like storytelling, you well, know? Thanks. And And you've, you've talked in the past um, that uh, you, I read a quote from you that you said, I, I have this sense of destiny that storytelling was going to return to comedy. This was back when Seinfeld, you know, was, was really out there. Why do you think that this storytelling style, like you and, and Louis C.K., why do you think that this is back now? Well, th I think that there's something where for, for the last decade or so, everything is felt, and I don't know if this is true, this is just me making stuff up, but... Uh, I'm not a scientist, but uh, I don't know, it seems like everything is so synthetic these days. Like it seems like everything is kind of like 3D or effects or CG and all these things. And I feel like there, in some ways, there's um, 
people have, like at a certain point, people have to return to what it is to be a human being, you know? It, it ha it, th that has to happen, just in a cyclical way. Yeah. Like, it, it, I just figured it would. Yeah. And it seems like it has. Well, and, and the film is just a great example of that. Uh, uh, the film is Sleepwalk With Me, and it's playing in theaters right now. You guys have managed with crowdsourcing to get into, into it's over 75 you know, theaters, you right? You know what, now, by the end of uh, September or mid-October, it's going to be 190 theaters. Amazing. It's all because of the internet. Yeah. Isn't that insane? It's because of you guys. Yeah. It's because you guys don't do your job at work all day. <laughs> Instead of doing your job, you lobby for Sleepwalk with me to it's, be in more theaters. You guys have done an extraordinary thing, and um, we just we wish you the greatest success with it. Thanks so it's much. It's a great for film. Uh, the film is Sleepwalk with me. Mike Perviglia, everybody. Thanks, you guys. Listening to Livewire Radio. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Markets, proud sponsors of Feast, a celebration of local cuisine and ingredients like the antioxidant-rich grape. A single grape is pleasingly colored and aerodynamically sound, but combined with other grapes, it is truly magnificent. People in togas don't feed bunches of apricots to their lovers. Nope, grapes. Find more information about healthy ingredients at WholeFoodsMarket.com. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Woody Allen, and this is uh, the director's commentary part of your DVD. Um, it's a special feature, per se. Uh, now look, now look, understand, I'm not very enthused to discuss my own work, so today I'll be uh, doing the director commentary for one of my favorite films from 1986, Top Gun. <laughs> oh, here we go. Look at him getting set to take off from the, the aircraft carrier. I wish I directed this picture. I think I was doing Hannah and her sisters at the time, which, let me tell you, wasn't nearly as exciting. Oh, okay, this is the scene where Cougar flips out. He just goes completely off. And Maverick, oh, there, there he is, Maverick. He's played by Tom Cruise. I'm getting a little low on fuel, so we're heading home. Oh, so dramatic. Maverick has, he has to break regulations and go help him out. It's a good way to foreshadow who Maverick is. He's, he's kind of a rogue, like a loose cannon, but he's a terrific pilot. Oh, here's that, that bald bastard commander. He, he's just giving it to Maverick right now. He's dressing him down, as it were. He reminds me of my chiropodist. Okay, you know what, you know what? I'm just gonna hit skip on the remote here and, and get to the good part. Oh, here we go, Kenny Loggins. This is... This, this is the volleyball scene. I, I, I love this part. Okay, Goose and Maverick are, of course, on a team. They're just spiking the hell out of this ball. They're playing against Slider and Iceman. Oh, I just hate that Iceman. He's so cocky. He's brash and he's blonde and he, and he chomps his teeth down violently. Every time I see him do that, my incisors get very sensitive. Okay, look, why is Goose wearing a shirt for this scene? It must be like 100 degrees. I don't understand it. It's beach volleyball. What is he, crazy? 
All the other guys are glistening and toned with their shirts off and there's Goose just hiding his torso. It's unnatural to be in that San Diego heat playing volleyball with a tank top. Jeez, I, I really wish I directed this movie. I'd probably cut out that Iceman though. He's infuriating. Look at him spiking the ball in Maverick's face. Oh, it's unsportsmanlike, okay. Well, I think there's about a half an hour left in the movie, but it sort of seems like a letdown after the volleyball scene, so I'm gonna wrap it up here. There's a, there, there is a part where a major character dies, and to my chagrin, it's not that Iceman. What a schmuck. Well, be sure and check out my next DVD commentary on Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. It's these big robot bastards from outer space just walloping each other, it's crazy. All right, bye now. That was Sean McGrath as Woody Allen. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the Helio sequence.
And now, as we mentioned at the top of the show, poet Scott Poole has been toiling away for the entire hour. He has been working to write a poem that sums up everything that he has seen tonight. So to tie it all up for us in a beautiful bow with a poem he finished writing, I think three seconds ago, please welcome poet Scott Poole. <laughs> What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that a lot of things fall out of windows all the time. Cigarettes, condoms, murk and yarn, sleepwalking people, very long beards, and manatees. They fall out in past and present tense and sometimes future. Wait, did I say manatees? Yes, you see, it's because people really care. They see a manatee suffering and figure they won't get hit by a speedboat in their apartment. But it isn't long until out the window they go, along with the sleep-ejecting owner who is willing to react to subconscious impulses of draining their apartment of seawater finally and shoving the 5,000-pound ungrateful SOB out the window. And when a manatee is falling, it's a helio-sequence song. It's a dreamy 80s dance party. Mitt Romney under the influence of half a Pepsi, pretty in pink, Matt Harding dream sequence with spinning lights and frosted edge confetti stuck in Andrew McCarthy's dreamy aquanetted hair. <laughs> Manatees love to dance with goofy grins, but they can only do it when they're falling out of buildings and they don't mind anything under four stories because they have considerable padding. Unfortunately, most of the time, Mike Berbiglia is just waking up from his own fall below while going through the mental machinations of questioning the inner workings of comedy, then pally manatee. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. And that is our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, Matt Harding, Mike Brubiglia, and Helio Sequence. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville, introducing Rise and Shine, Burgerville Records' two-benefit CD featuring two hours of music from some of the Northwest's best musicians. Proceeds benefit the Portland, Oregon Police Bureau, Sunshine Division, and other emergency relief organizations. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners like you find people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Trisha Ferguson, and director Jason Rouse. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse and house poet Scott Poole with guest writer Ben Coleman. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bouch. Special thanks to Rose City Sound. Show theme is written by our house band and Courtney Von Drele. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.